What's the most resilient parasite? An idea. A single idea from the human mind can build cities. An idea can transform the world and rewrite all the rules. Which is why I have to steal it. Never recreate from your memory. Always imagine new places. something and we need to find out what that is we gotta break out of here in the kick All right. How many of you guys have seen that movie, Inception? Anybody seen that? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit older, but uh, there's some concepts in here we really want to tackle today. And so get your Bibles out, get your notes out, whatever you want to pull out. Inception, the defini- definition from the dictionary is an act process or instance of beginning. It's the inception. But in like science fiction, it's the act of instilling an idea into someone's mind by entering his or her dreams. Now, can anybody already see some spiritual truth coming out of this idea right there out of the gate? So I'm going to let the cat out of the bag of what this sermon is all about. And it's this, Satan is after your thoughts. Or we could say your interior life, you know, because your thoughts are more, your interior life is more than just your thoughts. Satan is after that on the inside because if he can win there, he's won. If he can win on the inside, he is won. The battle's not won on the outside. The battle's won on the inside. It's not external weapons that we fight with, right? It, it says, in fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How many of you guys have ever struggled in this area of your life before? The area of your thoughts or the area of this battle that goes on? You see, Satan's biggest battleground is your thoughts. It's your interior life. Why? Because your thoughts hold your potential. Your thoughts hold your confidence. Your thoughts hold your direction. Your thoughts lead to your actions. You realize that one wrong thought, one wrong thought can have devastating directional results for your life. One wrong thought can set you on a path that can actually destroy your life. One wrong thought can have unbelievable results. It starts just as a thought. I haven't shared this story for a while. It's been a, a year or two, but uh, I, so I thought I'd share it again. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I would take teenagers on missions trips and youth camps and can you just imagine taking a few hundred teenagers anywhere? <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, have you guys have like one teenager? It's like, this is enough. I mean, imagine that. And so this is like actually, but I loved it. I loved taking the teenagers. And so we would go on missions trips. We would go to youth camp. And one time we went to uh, uh, Honduras. We had a missions trip and we were combining the missions trip with an adult uh, missions trip at the same time. So we went at the same time. We 
had been ministering in churches and stuff, in huge churches, and there was this opportunity for us to go way up into the villages, way up into the middle of nowhere. So we drove like two hours in the middle of Central America. It was just beautiful. We stopped at this place to sightsee along the way, this, this famous waterfall that was in the middle of all the magazines and all of the, the brochures and the tourist stuff, and here we were. So we step out, our big group, we had the adult group, and I had the teenagers, and so we start walking out. And just imagine with me for just a moment what happened. Uh, we're up on the top ridge of this canyon, and there's a waterfall, this famous waterfall that is about 200 feet, and it pours down into the canyon about 200 feet below. And so we're up on the top of this ridge. And so the adult group is in front and the teenagers and we're walking to get a a, a good idea of where to see this, this great scenery. And as I'm there, it's just like right out of a movie. This native guy shows up and in broken English tells me, he says, I can get you to a place where you can take an awesome picture of the waterfall. And I'm like, all right. The group's already going up there. I'm just going to sneak off and get this picture and then join right back up with the group. And so he starts to lead me down the side of this canyon. Like we're just traversing down the side of this canyon. And sure enough, we get about halfway, midway down the canyon. And there's this beautiful scene of the waterfall. And as I'm walking down to it, I look back up and I notice, uh uh-oh, there's teenagers following me. And so I, I'm like, oh, great. Okay, so they're following me. And, but I looked at the very end of the pack, and there was this guy who was one of our youth leaders. and one, He was on the adult trip, and he used to be like a Navy SEAL or something. I'm like, okay, his name was Bill. I was like, we're fine. Bill's with us. If anything happens, Bill will know what to do. Later on, I found out he was like, man, this is kind of crazy, but we're fine. Pastor Sean's up there. I'm sure he knows what to do. <laughs> we... We were quite the pair for each other. And so we get down to the bottom. We take all these pictures. We're getting ready to go back up. And the the native guy says, I can take you under the waterfall to show you where a cave is under the waterfall. I'm thinking, I'm never going to be here again in my life. There's a 200-foot waterfall. If there's a cave behind that waterfall, you bet I'm going to go see it. And so we went down to the bottom of the canyon, again, on the side of this canyon. We get down to the bottom. And of course, once you start rolling in something, you kind of forget how crazy it's starting to get at some point. And we're just supposed to be there looking. And and we had to end up swimming across the, the river We get, sure enough, we get underneath the waterfall. The 200-foot waterfall is pouring on top of us. There's an actual cave behind the waterfall. We get up in this cave, and we're just having the time of our lives. I mean, I'm just like, I'm never going to see this again. This is just amazing. We swim back out of there. We're drenched. I mean, we have no change of clothes. We make it back up halfway up to the canyon where we took the first picture. And as I'm there, we're just kind of taking a little breather. The native guy does a backflip off of the cliff into the rapids below. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out what what just happened. I don't know how to get back up there. This dude just did a backflip into the rapids. I don't know where he went. I've got a bunch of teenagers with me. I'm in the middle of I don't even know where, and I don't know how to get to where I'm going. And as I'm thinking about this, one of the teenagers on our trip jumps off the cliff. So now I'm like, oh, great, now I have to go find this kid. And so I had to go jump off the cliff into the waterfall, and somebody happened to snap a picture of me. This is the actual event. Let's go ahead and show it. This is me. I am jumping off the cliff into this waterfall. I don't know, it was 30, 40, 1,000 feet. I can't remember. So I get to the bottom, find the kid. We make it back up. Pretty soon there's a line of kids jumping off the waterfall. 
And I hear from the top of the canyon, the adults, right? Because I wasn't one of them evidently at the time. <laughs> the adults are saying, well, they're saying something. Finally, we make it up to the top. I'm like, man, they're spoiling all our fun and all this type of stuff. I'm not thinking about what's actually happening. And so they get up and, and our guide who was with us on the trip said that last year her and her, her friend were up there and, and her friend jumped off there and did the exact same thing and died doing it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that changes the story just a little bit. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm thinking, how in the world, and this was at flood stage, by the way, as you can tell, which the year before wasn't. And so I'm thinking, how in the world did I get from, let me take a picture of the waterfall to jumping off this cliff? See, one thought, just one thought, it started off with take a picture. How many of you guys have had a moment like that in your life where you realize, man, I, I went pretty far, pretty far. I mean, in a short amount of time, too. I mean, how did I go from jumping off a waterfall from just the thought of taking a picture in literally about 15 minutes? It evidently doesn't take long with my brain to get that far that fast. And so, but the same thing can happen in our life. How many of you guys have had something devastating happen in your life? The man, if you could have stopped it at the thought, everything would be different. And it all starts with the thought. You see, it, you don't just end up in a bad place by accident. In fact, we see James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we see this progression start to happen. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. See, it doesn't start off as death, does it? It started off as something else, but eventually it got there. And so if we are to win in this area of our lives, which we're all fighting a battle in, if we're to win, we have to first understand something about the game that's being played. So let's watch. They say we only use a fraction of our brain's true potential. Now, that's when we're awake. When we're asleep, our mind can do almost anything. Such as... Well, imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah like I'm discovering it. Genuine inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously, and our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening. That allows us to get right in the middle of that process. How? By taking over the creating part. Now, this is where I need you. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their subconscious. How could I ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the, uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? We're dreaming? You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm.
I don't know if you could hear the word. I couldn't hear the words as clear as I wanted to, but in, in that clip, basically what was going on is they were going in and creating the world of the dream in this science fiction movie and creating and allowing content to be filled in. So here, here's the point for us spiritually. Here's the point. Number one is this. We got to understand you are not the architect of every thought that comes into your mind. Did you realize this? Every thought that you have, you're not the architect of every thought that comes into your mind. This is important to understand. This is really important because some of the thoughts you've been thinking, you are not the owner of those thoughts. You are not, you don't own them. They have been preconceived beforehand and they've been planted there and presented to you as original thoughts. So sometimes we feel like we're, we're just thinking and our lives are just a certain way. I want you to understand that everything you think doesn't come from you. Everything you think, you haven't architected every thought. How many of you guys have ever had a boss or somebody in charge of something that the only way they would change something is if they thought that it was their idea to do it? <laughs> and so you would like convince them and set up a conversation to have it in such a way that at the end, they ended up doing what you wanted them to do, but the only way they did it is when they thought it was their idea. Do you realize this is what Satan does to us? Sometimes we will only do something if we think, because none of us really want to follow after Satan's way, but if he can get us to, if he can convince us that it's our thought, that it's a thought that came from us, then we're more likely to do it. Now, the goal of the implanted thought is really this. It's for, for us to lose something in life. The reason Satan plants a thought, why? Because he's a thief, he steals, he destroys. And the, plant, the implanted thought is for you to lose something. And this all started back with Adam and Eve back in the garden. You realize this? This is as old as time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So here he starts to plant a thought. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, here's the thought, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so she takes that thought and begins to eat and to take part in the fruit. Now, the goal of this inception of thought is pride. This was what this was all about. It was pride so that she would fall. The root of all of this is pride. Do you realize that it's all about us? These thoughts that Satan plants, it's all centered around us, and we end up acting on them because Satan is the father of lies, and he is full of pride. Do you realize this? In fact, this is why he fell out of heaven was because of pride. We know that he was basically the worship leader in heaven. And the Bible describes him as, a, and many of us don't think of him this way, but it actually describes him as a musical instrument, like windpipes, so that the praise of the angels would actually flow through him in heaven and, and make worship and music to God. Now, this is kind of a crazy concept, isn't it? He had a pretty important job. Now, at one point, he decided, man, I'm pretty good. All of this worship is coming through me to God. What if I just put a cap on it? And one day he decided he wanted to just put a cap on it and not let the worship go through him to God. And because of that, he fell. This is what pride does in our life. Whenever we decide to let worship that should belong to God stop at us, we're going to fall at some point. 
And every time Satan is trying to do that, he's trying to plant a thought that will do that. And pride manifests itself in many ways. We could talk about a lot of different things. Let me just share a few of them that happen in the church. Sometimes pride can say this, well, I'm not going to serve. They don't need me. It sounds very practical, right? You look around, you say, well, they've got everything covered. I'm not going to serve. They don't need me. Listen, sometimes, sometimes you serve not because you're needed, but because God wants to work something out in you. Sometimes you say, well, I don't want to give because I don't know about this or that. Sometimes you give in life. You give to somebody or you give to the church or you give to someone in need, not even because it's about them, but because God is working something out in you. Sometimes you pray. You say, well, I don't know if I didn't want to pray. Sometimes you pray not just because you need something from God, but because God wants to form something in you. And pride begins to stop all of those things and say, I don't need that. I don't need that. And what it's all about us. And Satan does this by planting thoughts in our mind, ultimately, so that we will lose something. So here is Eve in the garden, and she gets the thought implanted, and she eats. And from there on out, all humanity is devastated by sin. You talk about one thought leading to ultimate devastation right there. I mean, that's a pretty big deal right there. But here's the thing. It wasn't her thought. It wasn't her thought that led to all of that. And you may be thinking things right now that are not from you. See, I hope you guys are glad, though, that what we lost in, in Adam's name, we get back in Jesus' name by faith. See, she, they lost authority, but in Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, man, we can have the authority back if we choose to use it. You're not the architect of every thought that comes in your mind. That ought to put you on alert this morning. That ought to put you on alert. Because here's what preconceived ideas do. They get us to think wrongly. Let me just share just a few quick preconceived ideas we need to start rooting out of our life and pay attention to. One of them might be ideas about other people that we have based on what other people have said about those other people. How many of you guys have ever heard something about somebody, and then when you, you're like, man, this must be a horrible person, and then when you met the person, you're like, this is nothing like what I heard at all. It's because Satan was planting lies. See, we need to get rid of preconceived ideas and thoughts that we have about who we are based on what the enemy has said. We need to get rid of preconceived ideas about what God can or cannot do based on what our limitations have said. You see how it's all rooted in pride. Well, if I can't do it, then maybe God can't either. And so we've got to root those things out of our life. Here's the question I want you to get, I want you to ask yourself. What is Satan currently trying to get me to surrender? And if you can identify what Satan is trying to get you to surrender, I guarantee you it traces back to a thought he planted there that you thought was original. See, you're not the architect of every thought that comes into your mind and into your heart, but there's more to the story that you need to know. There's something else you need to know. So pay attention closely. Let's watch. Subconscious is motivated by emotion, right? Not reason. We need to find a way to translate this into an emotional concept. How do you translate a business strategy into an emotion? That's what we're here to figure out, right? Now, Robert's relationship with his father is stressed, to say the least. Well, can we run with that? No, because I think positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. We all yearn for reconciliation, for catharsis. We need Robert Fisher to have a positive emotional reaction to all this. All right, we'll try this. Um, my father accepts that I want to create for myself, not follow in his footsteps. 
of my work. Might? I'm gonna need to do a little better than might. Oh, thank you for your contribution, Arthur. Forgive me for wanting a little specificity, Ames. Specificity? Inception's not about being specific. When we get inside his mind, we're gonna have to work with what we find. On the top level, we open up his relationship with his father. Say, I will not follow in my father's footsteps. Then the next level down, we feed him. I will create something for myself. Then by the time we hit the bottom level, we bring out the big guns. My father doesn't want me to be him. Exactly. Three layers down, dreams are gonna collapse with the slightest disturbance. Sedation. For sleep, stable enough to create three layers of dreaming, we'll have to combine it with an extremely powerful sedative. How many of you guys ever want to slap in the face before anybody <laughs> one of those? So they're trying to implant a thought in the guy's mind. But they can't just plant any thought. They have to plant it in a way that it's received. They have to plant it in, in the way that it's going to be received well. So point number two about this is, is simply this. Satan plants thoughts in fertile soil. Satan can't just plant a thought anywhere, anytime, and it stick. Sometimes it will. But most often, he's looking for fertile soil so that it will take root. We know the story in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Jesus tells the story of a parable. We're, we're very familiar with this. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell upon, along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they, they, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, when we think of this parable, this is in the context of hopefully you have good soil so that when the word of God comes in, it's going to take root and grow. But you realize the reverse is true as well. Whatever is growing in your life right now is there because there is soil ready for it to grow. Whatever's happening right now, because listen, it would die otherwise. If, if you don't have soil that will support whatever Satan's plant, it, it would die otherwise. Now, uh, many of you guys, if you're Facebook friends with me or, or know me very well, and, and my wife, we have a big garden. And we've been doing this for a few years now, and it's about garden time. How many of you guys have a garden? You're getting ready to put one in, several of you guys? All right, some of you guys. Well, we've, we've planted this garden for a few years now, and we've discovered something about the garden. And we've just, here's what we discovered. We've discovered after a few years that everything above ground, you know, that grows out above ground, like tomatoes and peppers and all those types of things, they do great. I mean, they do well. But anything that grows below ground, like potatoes and onions and garlic and all that type of stuff that goes underneath ground, it, it never works for us. No matter what we try, it just hasn't worked. And so what we did, when we've been doing, and we're going through this process, a friend of mine who goes here to the church, we've been... Uh, trying to take some soil tests. So I got a picture of my garden and we, we've got these uh, little, you can see those little white things out there. Those are little containers full, full of soil. We took a grid of my garden and we divided it all up and we took different samples. There's nine different samples and we're gonna send that, we've sent that off. And what, what are we looking for? We're trying to figure out, because here's what we think. We think that maybe the reason why the stuff underground isn't growing well is because it doesn't have the right nutrients in the garden to support those things that are growing underground. 
And so we think that if we can discover what's happening with the soil, that we may be able to feed the, the soil the right nutrients, and then what will grow underground will be able to actually grow and do well. And so we're, we haven't got the results yet back, but we are excited to see what's going to happen with that. Why? Because we believe that with the right nutrients, things will grow. And with the wrong nutrients, things will die. How does this apply to our life? Again, Satan plants seeds in our life that have been cultivated in soil that's ready to produce a harvest for that seed. He, he cultivates our soil. Listen, our soil, if we are in a fence, it's because we have soil that's cultivated for a fence. Come on, somebody. Is anybody getting this this morning? If we are living in fear, it's because our soil is cultivated to live in fear. If we have, uh, if we have a lack of love, it's because we have been cultivating that kind of soil. Some of us, when we, whenever we have something happen in our life, we're just surprised. Why did I have that thought? Or why did that take root in my life? Why am I so offended? Why am I so hurt? Why am I so whatever? It's because you have soil that allows that to grow. See, the thought may not be yours, but the soil is. The thought may not be yours, but the soil is yours. And you are responsible for the culture in your heart because it will only grow in the soil that can tolerate or support it. Let me just give you one example. Fear. How many of you guys have ever battled fear in your life? I think that's probably everybody. We've all battled fear, but let me tell you something about fear. Fear requires different nutrients to grow in your life as opposed to love. Fear and love cannot grow in the same soil. You see, fear requires in the soil for fear to grow, there has to be a desire for control. See, whenever we have fear in our life, we want to, if we've been hurt in the past and we're afraid of getting hurt again, what do we do? We control our circumstances. We won't let anybody in anymore. So for fear to thrive, there has to be a desire for control. We have to control the circumstances. If our kids, if we're scared of what's going to happen to our kids, what do we do? We control where they go and how they act and where they're with. And, and fear, it can only thrive in a desire to control. Let me tell you, love cannot thrive in the same soil as fear. Because for love to thrive, love cannot have a desire to control. Why? Because love gives unconditionally. Love and fear cannot be in the same soil because the nutrients for them to survive are completely different. You could take area after area of your life, and I guarantee you all of the negative things that are growing in your life, you could trace them back to a nutrient that's in there that's fueling that. And if we could somehow extract that and, and to put the right nutrients in, that things would grow. What if we could create soil in our life where dark things, the things underneath the ground would just, I mean, those things we don't want to see anyway, they would just die off, just like my current garden. Let's just create soil like that in our life, where dark things would die and God things would thrive. There's a way for us to do it. But we have to watch this next point. So let's watch. So Saito, we can train your subconscious to defend itself from even the most skilled extractor. How can I do that? Because I am the most skilled extractor. I know how to search your mind and find your secrets. I know the tricks, and I can teach them to you so that even when you're asleep, your defense is never down. Look, if you want my help, you're gonna have to be completely open with me. I need to know my way around your thoughts better than your wife, better than your therapist, better than anyone. If this is a dream and you have a safe full of secrets, I need to know what's in that safe. 
In order for this all to work, you need to completely let me in. Enjoy your evening, gentlemen. As I consider your proposal. We can create a culture and train our hearts where dark things, dark thoughts will die, where God thoughts will thrive. How do we do that? How do we create this culture, this soil in our lives so that preconceived thoughts that, that are from Satan, that they just die off automatically, they get choked off and the God things grow? I, how many of you guys think that would be a great idea if we could do that? I mean, if we could just create, that even while we're at rest, that the soil of our life just produces these things. I, I believe that we can. If we want to choke Satan's thoughts, we have to change our soil. Let me just give you a few quick ideas. The, these are numerous. But the first part that's hinted at, even in that clip, is just opening up completely. Now, we're not talking about opening up to another person. I'm talking about give God VIP access to your hearts, to your heart, to your thoughts, to every part of your life. Give God VIP access. Do not leave any part of your life in the dark. Open it up to God and say, God, I'm all yours. I'm not gonna hold on to a wrong thought. If you shine your light upon it, God, let's make an agreement right now that we're gonna get rid of it. Give God VIP access in your life. We have to completely let him in. You know that scripture where it says, search me and know me? <laughs> search me. That's a bold prayer right there, right? I mean, search me and see if there's anything that needs to be rooted out. I'm telling you, if you do that, there's probably going to be some things. But you have to be willing to let God root out the wrong thinking, the wrong thoughts. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I have a set of keys here. And when we first uh, started to remodel the church here, um, back when we first moved in, there's different doors in this church that certain keys will open. And so they started to give me a certain key for the front door, a certain key for an interior door, a certain key for a door over here. And pretty soon I had a bunch of keys. Now, right now I have several keys, but they're to different buildings, not this one. Finally, I just said, can you just give me one key? Just give me one key. And so they finally gave me one key that will open up every single door. And you know what it says on this key? It says master. And I think about that every time I look at that key. And I say, God, this is the key I want you to have to my heart. I want the master to have the master key to every single door in my heart, to every single thought in my life. You see, if you look hard enough, even right now where you're sitting, there may be thoughts and ways of thinking that you have right now that you know you're holding back from God. You know you're not allowing him in because you don't want the pain associated with having to go a different direction. But we have to give God VIP access. You see, if Satan's goal to plant the thought is pride, then guess what? Your way out is humility. Your way out is to humble yourself before God and say, God, and this may be what it looks like for you. And here may be the conversation that you have with God. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that thought I had that I thought was right, that I thought was original, maybe it's a wrong thought. See, that's what happens when we want to start to change the soil. Second thing is this, and you may have heard this before, but I challenge you this week, think about what you're thinking about. Think about the thoughts that are happening just in that running conversation in your head all week long. Because a lot of times we give those thoughts a pass because we have these thoughts that we're thinking about other people that we think don't count. How many of you guys do this? We think they don't count because we don't say them out loud but yet we're thinking about them, about other people and about God and about our situation and about, oh, we're just not gonna make it this week and my finances aren't gonna, and we have this running conversation of thoughts that are not godly, that we do not need to give a home to in our heart. 
Think about what you're thinking about. Schedule time even every day just to check yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, again, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And listen to this. Take every thought captive. I like this last part. To obey Christ. Do you realize that your thoughts can and should obey Jesus? You can have thoughts that obey Jesus. So how do you realize what thoughts should not be in there? You look at what thoughts you have and ask if they're obedient to Jesus. See, are these thoughts behaving? Are these thoughts following after Jesus? And if they're not, they need to go. Because it starts off small. But how, how many of you guys have had kids? How many of you guys have kids? Oh, they're, they're really cute, right, when they're little, sort of. They all kind of look like aliens at first, you know, and you're kind of like, wow. You know, uh, we've done a lot of baby visits, and everybody's like, isn't this cute? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't know how to answer that one, but uh, if it's mine, it is. But, uh, <laughs> but they do stuff when they're little that seems kind of cute. I remember when I had my, our first kid, the boy, and I thought, man, he's having a great time. He's running all over the place, destroying stuff. It's hilarious. And uh, then I thought, wait a minute, he's going to grow up, isn't he, one day? And he'll be a lot bigger. It's like taking a, a bear cub into your house and thinking, this is really nice. But one day the bear grows up, right? It's the same with our thoughts. If you can start and get a hold of it small. All right, number three, let me just suggest this. How about you try on some new thoughts this week? How many of you guys are shopping? Your spiritual gift is shopping. Anybody have a spiritual gift of shopping? All right, some of you guys, you, you operate in that. Um, I don't know where that's at in Scripture. I'm sure you found a Scripture for that <laughs> to support your, your stuff. But how about you try on some new thoughts? Have you ever thought about that before? You, because you're not a victim of it. You don't have to surrender to that. One of the ways that we can do that is we can practice confessing things. You realize words are just containers. We get to fill them with whatever we want. We can fill them with faith or fear. We can use words that you say, well, I don't know if I, I'm there yet. Well, take a word as a container and try to practice filling it with faith. How about I am an overcomer? You don't feel like an overcomer? Well, you got to practice filling it with faith. See, so many of us think we got to just nail it out of the gate the first time. No, you get to practice. That's, that's one of the things I love about God. You get to practice. And one day, if you practice long enough, guess what? You're going to have a renewed mind. See, a renewed mind, isn't, it's not about just memorizing things. I'm not talking about just memorizing things. I'm just talking about practicing by faith, confessing the things that God says. You see, whenever you say what God says, you can do what God says you can do. And you got to practice that, though. you got to practice that. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. He, he says this. I think I've got a clip. It says, you know your mind is renewed when the impossible looks logical. How do you guys want to get there? You don't get there by accident. You don't get there by wishing to get there. You get there by exercising faith. Listen, I opened up this message this morning by saying that one wrong thought can take you on a path for devastating results. But listen, the reverse is true. Do you realize that one right thought can take you on a path to your miracle? One right thought in the right soil can take you on the path to a miracle. I was thinking about this this week with Galen and Sherry on Easter. We heard their story. Many of you guys know their story about their marriage that was dead. They got changed and God resurrected their story. It's a beautiful story. And I thought about that. And as, as Sherry tells the story, they were on, the, I mean, they were on the brink of divorce. They had the papers and everything and she's out running and she's crying and she has a thought, maybe I should go to church. 
And she followed that thought, and that one thought led to her being in service, giving her heart to Jesus, led her to bringing her husband. He gave his heart to Jesus. It led them to being baptized over here. It led to their their rededication right here. It totally changed their life. One thought. One thought. Thought about my dad's story as well. He said he felt like God, this thought got planted in his heart. Maybe I was born in Missouri for a reason, and he followed that path on out. Imagine if he had not followed. Generations of people have been impacted because of that. And maybe you're here this morning and you've had thoughts like that. Maybe you've had thoughts like that. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up as we close. Maybe you've had a thought like that. Some of you have. You had a thought like, what if we adopted? You had a thought like, maybe I should forgive. You've had a thought like, what if I'm wrong? Maybe you've had a thought this morning, and it's, and it's a thought like this, Jesus is enough for me. Maybe you've had a thought that says, I'm just going to believe, I, I, I'm I don't know how to explain it. I'm just going to believe. Maybe you're having a thought this morning that says, I I need to take a step of faith. I need to step out by faith. You even know what the step is, but that thought is right there in front of you. Maybe you need to have that thought or you're having this thought, the next time that the Holy Spirit nudges me to do something, I'm gonna have an automatic yes. I'm gonna have an automatic yes. You see, all of us, as we leave this place this week, there's gonna be all kinds of thoughts and things planted in us. The question is, what kind are they and who are they obeying? Are they obeying the enemy's plan? Are they obedient to Jesus? Will we allow the thought to thrive in the right soil? And I'm just suggesting today that maybe you don't need your externals to change right now. Maybe what you need to have is just a simple internal change that you allow to start to feed into your life, to feed into your life. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? This is really kind of a part two to last week's message about feeding the right thing. But I really felt like to close this out that some of you, when I, when I pulled out those keys and I pulled out that master key You knew exactly what that meant for you. You knew that you had not given the master access to every part of your life. And so that that applies to us as believers, but let me just, you guys can wrestle with that with the Holy Spirit right now, but let me just talk to those of you who have not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. You may have been in church, you may have been in church a lot even, may have been around at your family. You, you may have grown up in it. I, I don't know what your story is, but you know right now that Jesus doesn't have access to your heart. And I just want you to know today, and you may already know this, but let these words hit you fresh and anew right now, that Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for you, that he paid the price for all of your sins. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed. It takes one right decision, one right thought to come back to the Father's house. You don't have to make up for lost ground. You don't have to prove how good you want to be or how good you've been. You don't have to earn your way. He paid the price. All you have to do is surrender the master key of your life over to him and give him complete access. 
He paid the price for your sins. He rose from the dead. And he wants us to live the victorious life. And right now, you have that potential. The question is, what are you going to do with it? You have that possibility. You could surrender your life to Jesus. You could start to follow Jesus. You could come back to the Father's house. What are you going to do with it? So right now, if, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Sean, that's me. I know I need to surrender my heart to Jesus. I, I, I know that I'm not on the right path. I've never given my heart to Jesus. I need to give it all to him today. Or maybe you're here today and you just don't know where you stand with God. You don't know if you died tonight where you'd spend eternity. Before we leave this building today, you can know for sure. Maybe, maybe you're in this category. At one point you were following Jesus, but for whatever reason, you, don't, you just know that right now you're not where you should be and that you're not on the right path and you're kind of like the prodigal son who needs to return to the Father's house. Well, you can do that today as well. I just need to know if we need to take a moment out of this service to pray for you. And that's what we're gonna do today. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you say, Pastor Sean, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Would you just lift up your hand all over the building? We're just gonna pray together. All right, thank you guys. For those of you guys who are lifting up your hand, I see that hand over there. Anybody else? We're just gonna take a moment to pray. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna all pray this together. We're gonna pray this like we mean it. And we're gonna take these words that are containers and we're gonna fill them with faith right now. So let's all say this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for paying the price for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you give me eternal life. And I receive your grace by faith. And I confess that you're in charge of my life, that I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for those who've surrendered their heart today. Lord, I pray also for those of us who are wrestling with different thoughts. We bind right now, we bind the enemy right now. And we say you have no right to the territory of our internal life. You have no ground. In any ground that you come upon, you are trespassing and we have the authority in the name of Jesus. And I, have, I bind right now any of those seemingly uncontrollable thoughts. We just say they have no place and they have no power. They have to fall to the ground right now in the name of Jesus. And we lose peace and joy and the purposes of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's stand up and let's worship God one more time.